Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. It's so good. Sodom, I said, uh, who's that lady up here preaching and reading scriptures? I'm going to have to get her number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my wife doesn't have a takeover spirit. She just has enough spirit to take over. So. <laughs> she makes my job easier, man. I just. Oh, man. We're a team. And uh, we work together. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, man. You know, I was so blessed. I got to go on a trip uh, last week. Uh, It was Wednesday to Friday. I got to fly to uh, Orlando and meet with some other pastors from all over the country, different faith traditions. And we all got to be in the same room and and just be really vulnerable with each other and share with each other. And it it was just a tremendous experience. And it really showed me that we really all are on the same team. And uh, we can't get too caught up in our differences <laughs> that we don't work together. And uh, the Lord has really released into my heart this vision for a real unity for the body of Christ to come together. Where nobody is having to sacrifice the unique callings and giftings that God has given, uh, given them. Uh, but they can also don't have to disrespect the unique callings and giftings that are on other people. And that these things would all form together and fit together. And uh, God's raising up an army. He's raising up an army. And, uh, and, and I think we're, we're part of it. But when, <laughs> when I was flying, though, um, how many of you know flying's kind of stressful, right? I mean... <sighs> They tell you to get there two hours early, and I've never needed those two hours to sort out anything, ever. (laughs) But there's something about that suggestion that just freaks us out, so we get there two hours early. So my plane flew out at 6 a.m. out of Little Rock. Uh, So you can do the math. Uh, Two hours early would be four, Uh, but it takes an hour to get to Little Rock. So you can kind of do the math of uh, the schedule that, it, that I was on there. So after getting up early and rushing around, making sure I had everything, and, and I was trying to be really strategic where I could have two carry-ons, and that's really what I wanted to do. I didn't want to have to check my bag and go to the baggage claim. I wanted to have everything with me right there. So I packed like, uh, I packed like a guy. Y'all know how guys pack? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, the bag looked like it was about to explode and like come out. And, uh, so I, I was packing that bag and, and so I'm, I'm rushing and I'm hurrying and I'm, I'm, I'm just in this mode. There's something about it that just makes you feel like you, you're just in a hurry. And I thought it was so cool because I flew Southwest and it was the first time I've ever flown Southwest and they have these big, huge monitors that are uh, these huge TVs 
And when you're walking up to the gate, they say, relax, you're on time. (laughs) And so I went from hurrying to read that and I go, yeah, I'm on time. (laughs) And it just changed the whole tempo of the trip. It was like that declaration to relax, you're on time, we got it taken care of, uh, just changed the whole culture, the whole atmosphere of the trip. And when the pilots got up on the microphone and started talking, they were actually like cutting jokes. You know, it's normally dry and you can't hear them. And it's like, if you look at your lap there, you see, and you're just like pretending like, okay. And then the stewardess are doing stuff with the belts and they're like saying, you know, like you're going to remember if you're going down in flames, like here's the exits and like here's an inflatable raft that pops out and we jump in it and and we save other people. We're going to all be screaming and saying, Jesus, like that's what's actually going to be happening. But you pretend that you're looking at what's going on and so they're cutting jokes and they're just laughing about it and they're saying and if you've got a bad attitude you need to just get off here right now and everybody's laughing and I'm just like I've never been in a culture like that but but what they did was they disarmed the busyness of life the busyness of the pace and they just disarmed it made a joke about it and it was like all that culture just made the whole trip so much more fun and so I thought about it. And the Lord just put on my heart this morning. He said to let everybody know to relax. You're on time. Just relax. You're on time. You're not on plan B. You're still on plan A. And God is still working all things together for the good. So just relax. Relax. You're on time. You're on time. Now we're going to be diving into Thomas in John 20. And Thomas kind of gets a bad rap. He's known as what? Yeah, doubting Thomas. But you know, the more I'm acquainted with this story, I think he's more like hurting Thomas. That what I've found is, is that many times when people are struggling with doubts, it's not because of some scientific difficulty that they've found in quantum physics. Right? Like... Most of us aren't smart enough to be atheists. (laughs) (laughs) Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're not smart enough to be an atheist. You're just not. (laughs) That it's not some scientific difficulty that has hindered our believer that's down inside of us or or some, some crazy um, uh, epistemological uh, ethereal thing that's out there that we're just so whatever that we just can't believe that there could be a, a, a figure, a spiritual figure that we can't see that's orchestrating the universe in some kind of way to some degree. It's generally we got hurt in some kind of a way and that pain has informed our heart that God's not good and we stop believing based upon some wound from someone, something that's happened to our lives. And so I found it's not hurting, it's not doubting Thomas, it's hurting Thomas. That when we've been hurt, that the message of that arrow that shot into our heart by Satan sometimes when our shield of faith was down, 
has not informed us of how bad our enemy is. We projected that onto our thinking of how good God is. And so Thomas is here and he's in a, he's in a place. Because how many of you know things never work out the way you've planned them to work out? Right? Like if just when you think you've got God figured out or your Christian walk figured out, you need to hit your knees and say, Lord, <laughs> uh, forgive me for I don't even know what I'm doing. Because how many of you know God will always be doing something different and bigger than what you could even think or even imagine? And so this was Thomas is in this really difficult place. The Bible tells us that the doors were locked in verse 19 for fear of the Jewish leaders. That here's the disciples, right? The big men of faith. The one that Jesus handpicked and said, come follow me. Hey, and we're kind of hard on those guys, but think about it. They dropped their living. They dropped their nets. They dropped whatever they had their hands to. And they left it and followed Jesus for three and a half years, just following him around. Hey, that's pretty cool, right? How many of us got that testimony? But there was something in them that when they were following Jesus, they had their own plan of how it was supposed to turn out. And you can't follow Jesus with your preconceived notions of how he's supposed to run your life and how your life's supposed to go. Like you follow Jesus because you're following Jesus. You don't follow Jesus because of some easy path or he's going to wave some fairy dust over you and you're going to magically just be blessed and be this and be that. You follow Jesus because he's the Lord of your life. that we have such a truncated gospel in America. And the gospel in America is come to God so he can forgive your sins. I wanna tell you forgiveness of sins is a blessing of making Jesus the Lord of your life. It's not the gospel. The gospel is a Messiah, a king is coming to rule the earth and he invites you in on his mission with him and he's calling you to come and bow a knee and if you'll bow a knee to this King Jesus and make him Lord of your life, the benefits of his kingdom will be applied to your life. But you don't come to him for the benefits, you come to him because he is the Lord. He is the one. Like, I'm not following Jesus to miss hell. Like, heaven's not full of people that are scared of hell. It's like, imagine heaven with just people scared of hell. Oh, my gosh. Did we miss it? Oh, oh, we made it. Oh, my gosh. We made it. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, look, the streets are gold. And wow, this is great. Heaven's populated with those who are madly in love with Jesus. Like that's who heaven, that's what heaven's going to look like. It's going to be people that don't even realize they got gold under their feet because Jesus is such a treasure to them that they don't have to look what's under their feet. They see Jesus as the treasure of their life. They don't care that the gates are made of one single pearl. They're looking at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and they're in love with him. That's who's going to make the trip. I was at Bowanee and find the king to be 
a father. <laughs> we want to be part of that family. So the disciples have the doors locked because they're afraid what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And what happened to Jesus? Pinned to a cross, naked and shamed. And the disciples think he's coming to overthrow the Roman government. And they're going to all sit on thrones and they're going to have a big old time, buddy. But Jesus says, I'm not operating according to your plan. I'm doing something so much bigger that even though you don't understand, I'm going to need you to trust me and follow me. And it wasn't that he didn't tell them. He let them know. He said, hey, guys. Day's coming when I'm going to be handed into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be murdered. They're going to pin me to a cross. But guess what? Three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. <laughs> He's always bringing them into that reality. But how many of you know when Jesus tells you something, sometimes you just don't want to believe it? Oh, that was just me. That wasn't Jesus. <laughs> it's like, well, in that time, he was right there saying it. So, like, and so they had their doors locked for fear. And what happens is when we operate in fear, we start locking our doors and we start isolating ourselves from the community of faith. So, these men who were chosen by Jesus are afraid with doors locked. And I think it's really cool what Jesus does is Jesus doesn't knock on the door. He just walks through the wall. <laughs> and I thought about that, right? Because in Revelation, right, he starts walking among the candlesticks, which are the churches. But then on Revelation, the last church in Laodicea, he's knocking on the door, Right? Asking to let him in. But he doesn't knock on the door in this instance. He just walks right through the room. And I thought, Jesus, why did you just walk in there? He says, I'm only on the outside of something that's not mine. And those guys were already mine, so I could just walk right in. Now, some of you, he's knocking on your heart because you're on the outside. But some of you are on the inside. And you've been afraid. And you've allowed it to lead you to have a doubting heart full of fear and locked doors. Because you're afraid of what people might find. And you can put a perception on that looks tough and that looks spiritual. But you know what I found? Jesus isn't impressed when we're pretending to be spiritual. <laughs> you know when Jesus is impressed when we're like, you know what, here's who we really are. Help us out here. You know, and then he's like, yeah. Because when you're weak, then he can be strong. But when you're always trying to be strong, you're pushing him out saying, I don't need you. I don't need you. I got this. I got this. I got and, and Jesus is like, no, it just doesn't work that way. So Jesus busts in, starts hanging with the disciples, and they're getting all like, they're just like, whoa, this is great. And the Bible says that he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. But that would be pretty cool. <laughs> to Jesus bust into my fear party. And oh, it's you. <laughs> yeah, remember guys, I told you like over and over. 
And then he bops in and he's like, receive the Holy Spirit. And he does the Benny Hinn to them. <laughs> he Benny Hinned them, dude. I mean, or Jesus, but I don't know how. Uh, he blew on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Here's the picture. When God created Adam from the clay, Adam, which means human, comes from the word red, so we can assume it was a red clay he was modeling. What did he do to make it a living soul? So we're seeing a picture of new creation. Come on. We're seeing a picture of new creation. So when God created Adam and he breathed into him, right? We see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, right? And it's chaos. And the Spirit of God hovers over the chaos and starts putting order to the chaos. Let there be light. Let there be this. And he starts putting order to the chaos. When Mary, this teenage, unwed mother, is in her room, it's the same picture. The Spirit of God is brooding over an empty womb, over all this chaos, and basically speaking life into Mary to set in motion new creation. So when Jesus fulfills his mission, raises from the dead and goes to the Father, he comes and he breathes on them to make them new atoms the way he's an atom, the second atom. And so he's setting off this beautiful thing of new creation. Now, how many of you know that's good news? Here's where that would not be good news. If you were gone that day and you weren't in the room. That's Thomas. <laughs> I don't know if he had to get some bread and milk. I don't know if he had to go pick his kids up from daycare. I don't know if his wife needed to go to the doctor. I don't know what happened, but Thomas isn't in the room. And Jesus busts in and breathes on him. So when Thomas gets back from his errand, do, do, do. Uh, come in. <laughs> Man, you guys, y'all aren't in fear anymore. What happened? Oh, Thomas, you missed it. <laughs> Jesus walked through the wall. Not only did he walk through the wall, he breathed on us and we got the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm so happy for you. I, uh, ah. So because Thomas had felt like he had missed the experience, he felt like the Lord had passed him by. And so Thomas, not from doubt, from hurt. Well, the only way I'm going to believe is not only is he going to have to show up, because the Bible says he showed them his wounds. 
to the disciples that were in the room. He says, it's not going to be enough for me to see. Hmm. I'm going to have to fill them myself. Or I won't believe. So Thomas is operating from hurt. And we've all been there on some level. Ever been sick or you couldn't go to something and then God show up in a really powerful way and then everybody comes back and tells you how awesome it was? That ever happened? And then you think, was me not being there the reason why you showed up in power, Lord? (laughs) Am I the problem, Lord? (laughs) That you would show up without me? Or have you ever stepped down from something and then seen it flourish? Boy, I have. A little bit of you goes, what about me? Thought it was me. No, it's none of us. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's kingdom. It's it's his, his thing. There's a part of us, though, that wonders, God, do you see us? Do you see me? And this is where Thomas was at. Lord, do you, do you see me? So Thomas doubles down and really begins to get upset. But here's a lesson that I've learned, and it served me really well. Um, When God is blessing your neighbor, don't get jealous, because that means he's in the neighborhood. (laughs) That means he's close. (laughs) So... Get a hold of it, man. Because you sure don't want to be hurting out of the room and miss your opportunity because you couldn't bear to see your neighbor being blessed and God bringing them into new places of glory. Yeah. So he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side, man, I'm not going to believe. So you know what his doubt really was? It was a cry to see if Jesus cared and if he would come. But you know what I found about Jesus? Jesus loves doubters, and he's not intimidated by those who are hurting. He's just not. But all this has put him in a position to forsake his faith and to get him to let go. And in John 20, what we talked about in the previous section of Scripture when we did that a couple weeks ago is Mary needed enough faith to let Jesus go because she was clinging to something old and he was trying to do something new. But here Thomas is in a place to where he needs faith to hang on and to not let go. And all of us are in these places where some of us need the faith to let go of some things that we're hanging on to. 
Some of us need to let go of some insecurities. We need to let go of some fears. We need to let go of these things that are informing our soul that we're not good enough and that, and that this or that and that the labels that we've held on to that family members or people close to us and authority put on us and labeled us with. And so we wear them as these badges and they just, they just weigh on us and they beat us down. Like some of us need faith to let go of some of that stuff. But for some of you, the devil's whispering in your ear and he's saying, you need to let go of some things that God hasn't told you to let go of. That you need to hang on in faith and let God see the process through. So again, here's Thomas, but this time he's in the room. But you know what I noticed? Um, the Bible says that the doors were still locked. But Jesus comes in again. And it's like Jesus doesn't care how many times you lock the deadbolt. He just, you know, I hear the old timers say, man, back in my day, we didn't even have to lock the front door. I'm like, well, in 30 AD, man, it was a rough time. Oh, you got to keep them doors locked in 30 AD, man. You didn't know who was going to bust in on you. It's a tough time back there. So they're just walking in. Jesus walks in again. And, and here's Thomas. And he does almost the same scenario. And he goes right to Thomas. And he tells Thomas to put your hand right here. Put your hand in the wound. <laughs> and, and he gets him and he says, here, here here's the side. You know, the crazy thing about this is that Jesus wasn't there when Thomas made these statements. <laughs> so this leads us to know that even when we don't think God is there, <laughs> he heard what you said. <laughs> so it's almost like he's like, whoa, <laughs> prophetic word. <laughs> he did hear he did see, and that's what the prophetic is all about. The prophetic isn't about uh, some kind of snake oil parlor trick where you get wowed by somebody knowing something they weren't supposed to know. It's to address a wound so that you would know that it's revealed and God saw because what God reveals, he wants to heal. God doesn't want to reveal things to bring out shame. But God knows unless he reveals it, it'll never get healed. And some of you are so afraid of getting revealed because you think you're going to be shamed. And I'm just telling you, if you'll drop that fear and if you'll start to trust and you'll start to trust God's people, something will begin to shift in your life and you'll quit after acting and quit posturing like you're something you're not. And you'll find freedom of who you actually are and you'll put it out in the open and it'll be the best day you've ever had in your entire life because it'll be the first time you're actually received as who you actually are. So God will reveal these things so that they can be healed. So he prophetically declares to Thomas, here, look at this wound. Put your finger in there, Thomas. Said, oh, the side too. You said the side too. I, I, I forgot that. And so he grabs the hand and he says, here, here. Here, put it here too. Put it there too. 
Here, what your wound? Oh, your wounds, yeah. Yeah, I got wounds too. <laughs> and your wounds are my wounds. And my wounds are your wounds. <laughs> and you didn't experience those wounds alone. You experienced them with me. I don't know about you, but when you got a wound, the last thing you want is somebody touching that thing. Matter of fact, you're like hiding it so nobody touches it. Like, get out. It's like one time I slept wrong on my neck. You ever had a crick in your neck where you might as well have broke your neck? I slept so crooked one time. I don't know. I woke up like this. I don't know what happened. I think my wife pile drive me in my sleep. I'm just like, I woke up. I couldn't move. I was like this, man. I was stiff. Somebody to ask me something? Ask me something, Miss Cheryl. <laughs> Doing great. I mean, and you wouldn't you know it, nobody puts their arm around me and tries to give me a little headlock love noogie until my neck was cricked. And then everybody's trying, hey, you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Break my neck. It's like when you get a new pair of shoes, a new pair of white shoes. Nobody steps on your toes until you get a new pair of white shoes. And everybody's like, hey, Pastor, how's it going? It's like bozo shoes come up and just trample your brand new white shoes on and you're just like, you know what? And here's why. Is the more attention we give to something, the more of a target it becomes. And in our ability to dodge, it actually puts a bullseye on us where Satan goes, ooh, I see where they're weak. Fiery dart. And so this is, uh, this is Thomas. And so Jesus is saying here. I'm not too prideful that you can't feel my wound. <laughs> and he doesn't rush him either. Because the Greek word for reach in was to hold on and never let go. <laughs> it was to grab into the wound. It wasn't to touch it and go, ew. <laughs> Jesus, that's gross. It was to stay and never be removed from the woundedness of Christ. And it reminded Thomas that no wound he experienced was beyond the redemption from the wounds that were in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, it's by his stripes where without a wound, I don't know that there's a healing. So he's pointing Thomas to this reality of as weird as it feels for you to be at my side, as weird as it feels to feel where that spear entered in, you can never leave that spot, Thomas. You can never leave that because if you leave that spot, you'll forget how much I really love you. That's why when I'm going through a tough time and things are mounting up against me, start at the cross and work backwards. But God demonstrated his love for me and that while we were still sinners, 
He died on the cross, Romans 5, 8, and then I work back from there. Because if God can redeem the most evil event of human history, murder of God himself, how much can he redeem whatever happened to you? And you can't let go before he redeems what he wants to redeem in your life. You can't. You got to stay fixed into that woundedness. And here's the cool thing. Thomas goes from seemingly unbelief, which I don't buy it. He'd seen too much. He was just hurt. When you hurt, you say things that, you know, (laughs) ignore someone that's speaking while they're hurt, okay? Because that isn't how they feel. They're just hurt. (laughs) It's not who they are. Don't take it personal. They're just hurt, okay? Don't take it personal. So Thomas, who put his hand where the spear went in Jesus' side and blood and water came out, tradition tells us that Thomas went to India and started preaching the gospel to the pagans. And the persecution that he received, uh, tradition tells us that he was killed with a spear. The very place he put his hand gave him the strength to take the same spear. And the only way you're going to find strength to get over your woundedness is to identify with the wounds that are in Jesus. Yeah. That's what it is. Every crisis you experience, you know what it's to do? To point you to the ultimate crisis. Christ murdered on a cross. (laughs) Every crisis is to point you to the ultimate crisis. And at the end of the day, isn't it woundedness where we meet him? Right? How many of you ever heard, have you, how many of you have ever heard this testimony? Are you ready? Well, my life was going so great. I was so blessed. It was so good that I thought, I might as well add Jesus on top of it. <laughs> Never recorded in history. <laughs> Here's what it sounds like. I was at my lowest point. (laughs) I was so low, my front pocket was dragging pea gravel. And I thought, I've tried everything else. I might as well try King Jesus. So our crucified, wounded Lord meets a crucified, wounded people. And then raises them from the dead to a joyous chorus, an army that goes out as crucified followers that show their wounds and talk of the healing redemption that is in our wounded Savior. And that was the gospel Thomas needed. That he needed the gospel that said, my wounds are bigger than yours. And some of you need to be reminded You've been hurt by a sinful, fallen world, but his wounds are bigger than your wounds. And his wounds are big enough for you to put your wounds in there and find meaning and healing 
and redemption. But are you willing to push past yourself and do the unthinkable? Put your hand in Jesus' wounds. Put your hands where it feels weird, where it doesn't feel like they belong. Because <laughs> it's a pride killer when you start looking at the wounds of Jesus. And suddenly, my wounds don't look so big anymore. <laughs> Suddenly, mine look pretty comical compared to the redemption that's in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we need you. You told Mary to let you go, but you told Thomas to hold on. And that, God, that our friends here would know that out of your greatest pain comes your greatest ministry. <laughs> out of that divorce and abandonment is going to come your greatest testimony. Out of your lowest point of drug addiction, it's going to come your greatest testimony. <sighs> out of those moments of being so hungry, didn't know what else to do. It's going to come the resurrection story of healed wounds that are scars that bear the mark of your redemptive power. Jesus, you could have rose from the dead with no scars, but you choose to leave them. As they tell a story <laughs> and you don't mind showing them off to remind us how much we're loved <laughs> the ones who hold the one who holds our future holds them with nails scarred hands <laughs> that we're in good hands that you've not forsaken us left us alone God but you're walking through the locked doors of our hearts the locked doors of our life and you're saying I'm here and I see would you let me heal it would you let me touch it here you can put your hand in my wounds first before I ever touch yours so that you can know you can trust me Lots of wounds in here. <laughs> Lots of wounds. But nothing too big for your wounds. <laughs> nothing too big for you. Every head bowed and every eye still closed. I want to ask if you need to get your heart right with the Lord, I want you to slip your hand up right where you're at. It's time. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Need to make a new commitment for him. That's you. Put your hand up right where you're at. Amen. It's okay. Safe place here. Amen. 
you that got your hands up, I want you to stand up. Stand to your feet. Be brave. Be brave. Yeah. Takes a lot of courage. <laughs> Takes a lot of courage to follow the Lord, but <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> Anybody else? Amen. You that are standing, would you come to the front? We just want some people to pray with you. We're just going to agree together that God's going to make you into a new creation. not good, then God's not done. Yeah. I get some prayer partners to come help me. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.org.